Hello, this is Pastor Bob Gray. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast here at Emmanuel Baptist Church of Longview. I trust the services will be a blessing to you. If I can do anything for you, please let me know. You can find our information on the website at ebclongview.com. Let's go right into the services of Emmanuel Baptist Church. Enjoy God's Word. Well, <laughs> uh, well I, I, I'll say this. like We got the chili cook-off, so that, that's one thing. And then, like you said, the Cowboys are playing, so that's another thing. So it, uh, it just might be brief this evening. Every time on Sunday night, too, before... Uh, before I preach, my daughter always tells me what to preach about. She's like, uh, hey, Daddy. And I'm like, what, what? And, you know, I'm thinking she's going to encourage me or something. This much, Dad, this much. Can you keep it that long? I'm like, oh, come on, baby. Uh, so that's what, that's what she always wanted to preach on, that much, right? So uh, there's that. And then usually I preach, like, I'll preach bilingual, like English and Spanish, right? Uh, so today we only have half of that. So it might just be half as short. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyways, Pastor, we're talking about uh, the Spanish church, but what we were talking about up here, we were just talking about how the day went just today. And uh, this morning, we, we had a special time that we got to share this morning. We got to present uh, two of the young men that have been coming for the past few months. Uh, two of them, we got to present them with their baptismal certificate. They got baptized back in October, uh, I think. Yeah, look at them. They're actually here. And I want them to come to, no, I'm just kidding. And uh, they were embarrassed enough this morning. But uh, we were able to, uh, to, to remember that decision that they made in their life. And, uh, you know, because like we were telling them that Satan has a way of removing and taking us really far away from the day that we got saved, especially for young converts. And he has a way of making them think, look, you didn't mean that. Hey, you know, that was uh, maybe just emotional decision. Look, look, look at all the things that are still the same. Uh, but no, that, that actually happened. They actually got born again. Amen. They uh, follow the Lord in baptism. Um, and then we also got to honor uh, Brother Chris, their friend that brought them. Uh, we got to honor his efforts as a soul winner, his efforts as uh, the one who invited them and told them about Christ. And he's, and he's actively still does that for uh, more of his friends there. Uh, at, at Hallsville uh, High School and, and uh, in, in his neighborhood and all that. So we got to honor that. Uh, but what was amazing, what was uh, just a wonderful part about it, their, their moms came. Uh, the young boys, Chris, uh, their mom got to come and their siblings got It's already been a wonderful, wonderful full day uh, already. So uh, praise the Lord for that. And uh, so, uh, so amen. So that's just a little bit of what's been going on over there uh, in Spanish church. Let's open our Bibles, Acts chapter number 17. Acts 17 is where we're going to be uh, this evening. <clears throat> Acts 17, and it is an honor to, to preach, and I'm humbled at the opportunity. Acts 17 is where we're going to uh, be tonight. We're, going to, we're just going to look at a brief portion from 22 to 31 is where we're going to focus in on. Acts chapter 17, and then... We'll, we'll be looking at verses 22 to 31. Let's all stand. We're going to read just uh, the, the text for this evening. And uh, we'll do this. We'll read it together. How about that? We'll, read, we'll all read together, Acts 17. And uh, we'll, read, uh, we'll only read one verse as the text verse tonight, uh, verse 27. Okay? Uh, so Acts 17, 27. Do we have it tonight? Amen. All right. 
uh, Acts 17, 27. If you have it, let's begin to read there in verse number 27. It says this, That they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him, and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. Uh, let's pray and then let's get into the message. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to congregate. We, uh, we thank you for the opportunity to, to meet together, Lord, the health that you've given us, the freedom that you've, been able, uh, that you've given us to be able to come and do this. Lord, we do pray that uh, as we get into the preaching time, uh, Lord, that you would guide my words, Lord, that you, uh, all of us, that you would make us spirit-filled listeners. We know that only your Holy Spirit can make these truths uh, illuminated in our lives. We know only your Holy Spirit can make any, uh, sense of it in our minds and our hearts. And that's what we're begging, Lord. We're leaning on you 100%, uh, Lord, to, to, to speak to us tonight. Lord, and we can't wait uh, until you do. Lord, we do pray also that whatever way you do speak to us, that we would move, uh, Lord, that we would consider it, uh, Lord, that we would change because of it. And we promise that at the end of this, at the end of this night, that we'll give you all the honor, all the glory for everything that you do. We love you. We thank you so much for loving us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> we know that God's word has answers. Amen. It has the answers. It has answers. Uh, it has the answers that he wants us to have. Sometimes we have questions that God's word doesn't answer. Sometimes God's word gives us answers to questions that we weren't asking. But sometimes we get into that perfect little uh, space where God's word gives us answers. And those answers happen to be answers to questions that we actually find ourselves asking. And in this case, like tonight's text, is something that we ask quite often. The case for the text tonight is, is just one of those instances it's one of the questions that we ask ourselves quite often, and it's an answer, praise the Lord, that God's word has. As we look at that answer, we'll find that uh, God has provided it in his word. The answer and the question that it brings up is, where is God? Where is God? Where is God? And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight, where is God? As we look at the answer uh, to that question that God provided in his word, I believe it will affect three different groups of people here tonight, it'll affect those who are lost. It'll affect them most directly. Where is God? It'll affect those who are suffering. Where is God? It'll affect those who are struggling. What do I mean by that? Well, <clears throat> as we think of uh, those who uh, are struggling with salvation, those who are lost, where is God? It, the, the question, the answer affects that lost man as he struggles to connect the dots between the creator and a savior. You, 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 he might ask, you tell me to trust on Christ for salvation, but where might I find Christ so that I can trust on him? Our text answers the question for you. Less directly, like I said, it, it uh, speaks to those who are suffering and for those who, was, who have been put in a situation to watch others suffer. The question might just cross our minds and our hearts. Well, where is God in that certain situation? Where is God in my life? Where is God in that person's life? Well, the text tonight has the answer for you as well. And finally, for the one who's struggling, and by struggling, I mean you're struggling <clears throat> with giving God control in a certain area. You're struggling to yield or to submit. Maybe like the hymn 
puts it so well, you might be struggling hard with sin. And then, like Moses, you look to the left, you look to the right, and you ask yourself, well, where's God? Where's God? You might not ask it out loud, but you might be living and acting and asking yourself, I think I could do this, because really, where's God? As Paul describes to the unknown God to the Athenians on Mars Hill, he reveals and he describes him by three major works that would be very personal to the folks who were listening to him, and it's very personal to us. So it's through these three major works that Paul answers that question of, where is God? And it's through revealing and describing these personal works that we see what the implications are for us, whether we're lost, whether we're suffering, or whether we're struggling. So what are these three major works of God? That's all we're going to do tonight. We're going to look at, we're going to answer the question. We're going to, we're going to find the answer through what Paul describes and, and what he shows and how he opens up these three major works of God. So let's dive right into it. Look at Acts chapter 17 and verse number 22. It says this, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar. <coughs> with the inscription to the unknown God, whom, whom therefore ye, uh, ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. In verse 24, God that made the world and all things therein. The first major work of God that Paul reveals this unknown God. He, the way that Paul reveals the answer, where can we find this unknown God? He reveals it through production, or in other words, creation. What, that fact that God is the creator. This unknown God, he makes him know he's singular. And by the way, not only does he let him know that he's the creator, but before that, he lets him know that this God can be known. This God can be known. Now that's very important. That's very important for the sinner, for the suffering one, and for the one who's struggling. This God can be known. Well, why is that so important? There are those who believe uh, there's a, a belief system called deism. Anybody uh, aware or familiar with deism? And deism believes that there is a God, but, these, but that he is far and away from human interaction. That he cannot be known by his creation. They believe that he's up there and out there, but it bears no weight on my life today. But Paul doesn't start off that way. Paul says to the unknown God, he says, Him declare I unto you. He's declarable. He's knowable. He's understandable for us today. Him declare I unto you. Deism says that he cannot be known personally, but he can be known. First of all, he can be known through his, uh, the fact that he's the creator. In verse number uh, 23 whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. Verse 24, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands. He notes that because God is the creator, this makes him Lord over everything he's created. Colossians approaches the the same topic in a very similar way. Colossians, when it's trying to emphasize that Christ is the head of the church, right? It's trying to emphasize uh, the relationship between Christ and the church. And it emphasizes the fact that Christ is the head. 
And, it, and, and uh, our core value, Colossians 1.18, that in all things he might have the preeminence. But the way that he gets there, the way that he establishes that reason, why should Christ have the preeminence, is because he says that he created all things. All things were made by him. By him all things consist. He's the creator. We can know him in that way. He is the Lord. <coughs> Another interesting here, uh, thing that Paul does here, he lets them know... <laughs> He lets them know where God is not. He lets them know where God is not. He says he is not uh, in uh, temples. In verse number 24, uh, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. There, so we, earlier we talked about deism, right? That God is far away. He's above and he cannot be reached. The opposite extreme of that, where, where we have to be careful we don't fall in. We, we don't want to fall in deism where we believe God is far and away. He doesn't care. But we also can't fall into what's called pantheism, to where God is in everything. And all we have to do is look inside. All we have to do is look inside. Paul here makes a distinction between the creator and his creation, doesn't he? He says, yes, uh, God is omnipresent, but that doesn't mean that he's in everything and that everything is God. It doesn't mean that there's only I and there is no you, as, as, as a, a, a Buddhist would say. It doesn't mean that, uh, that, uh, that, that we're all gods and that we can all you know, speak things into existence. No. He says God is very much knowable. God is understandable. But God is not. God dwelleth not in temples made with hands. He's distinct and apart from his creation. The pantheist says that God is in everything, and God is everything, and everything is God. I'm going to make a, a, a distinction here. This is why uh, a Buddhist or a pantheist, uh, a Hindu, this is why they don't pray. This is why they meditate. And we're going to make a distinction between biblical meditation and uh, a mystical meditation. The reason that they don't pray is because why should I pray when everything is God and I'm in everything and I'm a part of everything? Why should I look out for the answers? If it's only I, why should I look and consider you? So guess what they do? When they need an answer, when they, when they are looking for solutions, when they're looking for God, they look inward. And they meditate. Please, people of God, if we can make that distinction... Because we live in a world that bombards us and the youth, and it bombards them with the idea that, uh, that well, yeah, just look inside for the answers. Where does that come from? Well, it comes from this idea that, well, you can, you, you, you're, you're God. No, he's distinct. He's outside. When the Christian meditates and when we look inside, we're not looking inside for answers. I think about the, the, the passage in Psalms. Uh, it says, when I consider, uh, when I consider you, and, and he talks about how his, how his heart burns. And he says, uh, and I considered all these things. And then that's when he asked himself. And, and, and he talked about, and he asked God to show him his end and to show him the length of his days. When the Christian meditates, he doesn't look inside for an answer. Uh, at, like Disney wants us to do, right? Uh, you, you can just, just trust your gut. You know, just, uh, you, you know, it, it, you have this. You got it. It's, it's you. No. When the Christian looks inside, he considers God. And he considers the greatness of God and the, and, the, and the smallness of man. 
But that's also what drives the, Christ, the Christian to pray. Amen. It's also what drives the Christian to pray. Realizing that the answer is not within. <laughs> that the answer is outside and above. Prayer to someone that's above me and outside of me. Someone that is distinct and apart from his creation. In verse 25, we find that this creator demands a set way to worship him. My heart was broken yesterday at a door when it, it, talking to a gentleman. And, and, and you've heard it. You've heard the, the, the mindset, the mentality. Well, you know, as long as they believe, in, 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 and I respect all beliefs. But Paul says to these Athenians who knew nothing about the true God, the one true God. He says, no, in verse, in verse number 25. Neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. The one true creator God has a set way that he expects us to worship him. We cannot worship him how, however sincere we are. We cannot worship him however we feel like. We cannot worship him on our own terms. This God, this one true creator God, the God that, that Paul was trying to make known to the Athenians, he says he cannot be worshipped with men's hands like, or with silver and gold. He says he has a certain way that he demands for man to worship him. So the first way that Paul reveals the unknown God is through his production, what God has created. The next thing that he does, look in verse number 25, he kind of already hinted at it. Anything seen, he giveth to all life, breath, and all things. Verse number 26. And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth. And hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. The next area, the next big work of God that Paul uses to open up this one true, the one true God is God's providence. God's providence. In other words, where and when he places man. He says this, he says he made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth. Paul here notes the universal condition of men. In other words, it doesn't matter what nation you were born in. It doesn't matter what time you were born in. He says all men have to approach this one God in the same way. We all have the same problem. And he, he, the reason he's bringing this up is because he wants to later on note that we all have the same solution. <laughs> he says all men, no matter, God is the one who set them there. Sometimes a, a popular question that gets asked in the, in the college classroom is, what, what about those folks that are uh, in, in, uh, in a jungle somewhere uh, in, in the darkest corner? And, and, and what about them? Are they responsible? Are they responsible to trust Christ? Well, according to Acts chapter number 17, God is the one who put them there. And my note this, God is the one who put you where you're at and put me where I'm at. God's providence he noted that there's never been one single human being that has ever existed that didn't exist at the exact time that God wanted them there and didn't exist at the exact place where God wanted them. He says that he established those things. In verse number 26, it hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on, the, on all the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed the, and the bounds of their habitation. Every man, no matter race, time, 
will have to meet the terms of this singular creator's condition. Each and every man can know where God is and must meet him there. He had determined the times, the bounds of their habitation. But for me, the thing that blew my mind, as Paul reveals that this is what God does. God is in charge of creation. God's in charge of providence. Where, when, who goes exactly where. Look, sometimes we, we watch the news and we let the news kind of dictate our attitude and our spirit. Oh, you know, this country invaded this country. Now this border gets moved here and there. Acts 17, God's the one who determines all that. Take a breath, amen. Relax. <laughs> That's in God's hand. It's by God's providence. But the, the thing that blew my mind is Paul tells them exactly why. Why was each man, each woman placed exactly where they needed to be well he tells them in verse number 27 that they should seek the lord that they should seek the lord every person that has ever lived has been placed at the exact place and time in the exact place on this planet to maximize their willingness to search for god he says that they may seek and happily reach out as Paul describes the unknown God, he lets them know there's someone above and outside of you. There's someone above and outside you who made you. But not only did, they, did he make you, but he placed you exactly where he wanted you. He not only did he place you exactly where he wanted you, he placed you exactly when he wanted you. And he says, why did God do all this? Why did that one creator do all of that? So that you could, you could search for him. So that not only could you search for him, but praise God so that you could find him. So that you could find him. Because he says this, where is God? In verse number 27, he finally answers it, though he be not far from every one of us. Where is, where is God? I'll, tell, I'll put it this way, not far. He's not far away. To the person who's lost, he says, why? How can I connect the dots between a creator and a savior? He says, well, he's not far away. To the one who's suffering, he says, can I reach God? Can my prayers reach God? Will he hear me? Will he answer me? Does he understand me? He says, he's not far. He's not far from every one of us. He's not far away. And from those of us who are struggling hard with sin, we're struggling with, do I give this up to God? Should I let him have this? Well, I'll tell you this. The answer is, He's not far from us. He's not far from us. God's providence. And then Paul moves on to the third great work of God, God's provision, or what he gives to man. God's provision. Look what he says here in verse number 27, that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. Verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being as certain also of your own poets have said for we also uh, for we are also his offspring god's provision what does he give to man <clears throat> well he gives to man life movement and being god's proximity or his closeness is described by god's provision what does it mean that he gives us life well, he gives us the very breath that we breathe, the energy of it, that it even takes to exist. God gives you life. We have our movement. What does that mean? Our day-to-day -day activities, our life cycles, everything that we go through, our, the, the, the daily humdrum, if you want to put it that way, getting up, going to work, going, uh, going home, uh, laying down, getting back up, the daily, uh, the daily life cycle. He said, no, 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 I chose this career, or I chose this direction, or I chose this. No, no, no. In him, we have our life. In him, even it says, 
In, in the passage, uh, in verse number 28, we, we, in him we live and move. God is close, and he describes it even by our movements in life, in our being. What does he mean by our being, our personality, your uniqueness, right? Your uniqueness. Everyone, we live in a day and time when uh, uniqueness is, for some reason, just a quality that people think is just way up there. <laughs> I mean, if it is, you know, if that's your cup of tea, then Amen. But can I say this? Even your uniqueness, your uniqueness is given by God. Yeah. Hate to burst the bubble there. But what makes you feel so unique and so, that comes from God. And if your uniqueness comes in the way and goes against the way that one true God has desired for men to worship him, then I'm sorry, but that's not, that's not his will. That's not his plan. <clears throat> Our being. This provision makes us his offspring is the way that he describes us. Offspring not in the way that a Mormon would look at it. A Mormon would pervert this and say, oh, look, God is our, our dad our, 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 and, and, and we're his offspring. If you just look at the context, you're, the context you realize that it's not talking about uh, the way that a Mormon would look at this. But it, it, here when he says offspring, he's, it, it simply means that he is our source. We spring off of him. He is our source. His providence demands uh, that, that, that we realize this, that everything that we have comes from him. In verse 29 says, For as much then we are the offspring of God. And here it is. Paul gives a sort of invitation here. For as much then, verse 29, as we are the offspring of, uh, of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. <clears throat> because God is our source, his providence demands a proper thought of God. Or if we put it more close to what the scripture says, because God is our source, it excludes an improper view of God. He says, oh man, that church demands so much of me. Uh, yeah, even demand you how to, how to think. God says, no, no, because of who I am, you're not allowed to think a certain way. He says, you, you can't, this, the, God being this way, a perverted, a, a strange way, you can't even think this way, is what he says here. Because of who God is, he says in verse number uh, 29, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. Verse number 30. <clears throat> in the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. He commands all men everywhere to repent. God wants no time taken for us to repent. <laughs> he winked at ignorant times, but he commands man once again everywhere. He already said there's the, that space, that, that distance, that geography doesn't make a difference. He, God commands man everywhere to repent. And not just sometime in the future, not just whenever you feel like it, not just whenever uh, some cataclysmic thing happens in your life. He says God commands all men to repent now. Now, why should I change now? And we'll finish with this. Why should I change now? Verse 31, because. 
because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. Wherefore, he hath given assurance unto all men and that he hath raised him from the dead. Why change now? Because there is a guaranteed judgment. There's a guaranteed judgment. There's a guaranteed judgment. And this judgment, according to this passage, is on an appointed day. Amen. From an appointed man and by an appointed standard. On an appointed day. From an appointed man by an appointed standard. Well, what is that standard? Well, he says very clearly that that standard is righteousness. From an appointed man. Well, who is that man? That man is none else than Jesus Christ, God himself, who took the flesh, who took the form of flesh. Look at John chapter 5. John chapter 5 and verse 22. John 5, 22. John 5, 22. I'm going to start reading it. John 5, 22 says this, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father, which hath sent him. And now look at uh, Romans chapter 2 with me. Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, verse number 5. There's a guaranteed judgment. He says it's an appointed day. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment, we find in Hebrews. But from an appointed man, Romans 2, and verse number uh, 5 says this, Romans 2, 5 says, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Now look at verse number 16. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to to my gospel. Why should I change and why should I change now? Because there is an appointed day. And, it, and, and there's an appointed standard of judgment. It's not just, well, how it feel and, well, did he do his best and I feel like, uh, I, feel like I did my best. No, the only standard that'll be that day is God's righteousness. That's it. There's no, uh, there's no other standard. God's righteousness in an appointed man. The one who came And there is a reason I said it's a guaranteed judgment. Let's go back to Acts and we'll finish there. Acts to Acts. Back to Acts and we'll finish there. Acts chapter 17. What's the guarantee? Well, verse 31 says, He hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. Oh, what's the guarantee? Whereof he hath given assurance unto, once again, all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. The judgment is guaranteed by Christ's resurrection from the dead. Why do we assemble on Sunday morning or on Sunday night? Well, because we assemble on Sundays because we're simply celebrating. We're simply realizing. We're recognizing that every part of our life, every part of our life revolves around the fact that Christ rose again from the dead on the first day of the week. We, we, we yield to that. We bow to that. We recognize that he rose again on this first day, and that should change something about me. 
to the lost, repent and repent now. He's commanded it. Change your skewed view of God. You may not approach him by the works of your hands, only by the finished work of Christ. To the lost, where is God? He's not far. He's not far. He says if you should happily just reach out, you'd find him. You'd find him. To the suffering, where is God? Don't jump to deism and think, well, God is above and apart and away and he'll never hear me. Don't jump to pantheism and think, well, I can take care of this. I can do this. I can walk it on my own. I'll figure it out. No. Realize that God is your creator. That he's, by his providence, he's put you where he's at. He's allowed you to go through whatever it is you're going through. And he allowed you to go through it when you're going through it. Don't look inside for the answers. Pray. Where's God? He's not far. I promise. He's in that hospital room. He's in that courtroom. He's in that bed when you're depressed. And where's God? He's not far. And where is God? To those of us who are struggling with giving up certain parts and certain things, we'll realize that in Him... We live, we move, we have our being. You have no right to hold on to it. I have no right to hold on to it. You have no right to it. Well, I'll change later. No. He says now. Hebrews 3, was it 12 through 15, talks about today. Today. He says that's why it's called today. Encourage each other to make the decision today. There's no reason. If God's already laid it out in his word, whatever the decision that might be. For those of us who are struggling, let's get it done. Let's get it done today. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the podcast of the sermons from Emmanuel Baptist Church of Longview. We trust that the sermons and God's word was a blessing to you and yours. Please visit us at ebclongview.com. If we can do anything for you, please let us know. Have a great day.